let's do um let's do some of my 10 questions for you oh. which i always put out as a, a separate podcast um okay. like a, a bonus episode and then we'll wrap up and you can tell people where they can buy the book etc yeah oh it's gonna be hard <laughs> they always are okay so you know from the first question is the worst one to ask any fan of any artist right is arm up your back if you only had to pick one what's your favorite tom petty album this is so this is such a mean question it's a terrible <laughs> question um I gotta go podcast over no I um I mean if I have to I'm gonna cheat I'm gonna cheat that's what how I'm gonna get okay. around this I'll say damn the torpedoes because undeniable can't live without it but I will also say I don't think I can live without most of full moon fever okay and since that includes so many of the heartbreakers i feel that i'm like yeah. still getting it um but i also want to shout out echo i think echo is underrated constantly i find yeah. that album to be devastating and and a different yeah. element of petty songwriting a different level of vulnerability and then that it is the last that um howie appears on i just that that album holds a really special place for me yeah i mean it is one of those when you just look through the track listing it's incredible all the songs alone are incredible there's a body of work yeah it, is, it just gets overlooked and i know that tom obviously wasn't a fan of the album yeah. just because of when it was written, what was going on in his life, losing Howie, drug addiction, fall, you know, the marriage falling apart, all these things. That's really difficult as an artist to revisit that. But we get this piece of work at the other end of it is that's just so striking, right? And it's sort of stark beauty. Yeah, logical. And that's the, that's the, that's part of our discussion about that in the book, <laughs> I really tried not to write about Tom Petty's biography. Yeah. Because that wasn't, I don't feel that that's necessary or even the most important thing to feeling so deeply connected and grateful to the music. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important separation that he's always maintained and resisted. And so, you know, that album, the making of it, the release of it, the loss of Howie after it um that's all yeah devastating but also the music the songs that were created out of it like don't belong to like the experience they don't belong to that period of time anymore they belong yeah. to um everyone that has come to find meaning in that album afterwards yeah yeah for sure and you said saying that in the book you don't you don't get it it's not it's not art critique but those those songs that you pick you know like american girl you wreck me have lovable travels in there the waiting rebels they're all anchor points right for there's certain there's very specific reasons why those songs have been picked but you do dig into some of the song structure some of the lyrics and some of the music in there but it's not the it's not the focus it's to give you that point from which to build back out and sort of say what you have to say about whatever that chapter is about which is, i think is very artfully done so thank you thank you okay second question mud crutch or traveling wilburys Another horrible Wilburys. question. Wilburys. Wilburys. <laughs> All day, every day. And I always tell people that was my, I'm I'm 95% sure that was my in with Tom Petty. 
because my dad's a, I grew up with the Beatles and I grew up with all the English stuff, but so I knew George Harrison when this was in this band and Roy Orbison's it was kidding me, Roy Orbison, Bob Dylan and Jeff Lynn. I knew because I'm, you know, I'm English, no yellow, but I didn't really, it was this Tom Petty kid then. Like, why have they let this scruffy yellow haired kid in? You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't seemingly doesn't fit. And then I, you read more about it. It's like, okay, no, these songs are great. And when you, Cool Dry Place is my favorite Wilbury song. And that's Tom, like Tom, I'm pretty sure, I think that was one of the ones that him and Dylan wrote together, right? So. So good. Yeah. I mean, the influence of Wilbury's as the, tantamount dad rock super group yeah. it can't be overstated and that as as an introduction for kids of our generations um to each of these artists and then yeah. discovering their bodies of work through the lens of this sort of bizarre <laughs> mellow uh hodgepodge of songs yeah. um I mean I just I think it's delightful and really important. So Wilbury's. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. If you could join the Heartbreakers on stage for one song, what would it be? And what instrument would you play or sing? And I always caveat that with, if you're not a musician, imagine that you are and you're proficient enough that you could get up on stage with the Heartbreakers. <laughs> I would, I would sing and I would sing The Waiting. Okay. Why? Yeah. That's the next question. Because there's always a why behind why people pick a certain song, right? I, I love that song. The, I mean, we've heard Benmont wax about that opening, the opening couplet. Yeah. Oh, baby, don't it feel like heaven right now? It's just, it's so good. It's got this aphoristic chorus yeah. that is telling that wonderful petty line, not joyful, not sorrowful, but that sort of tense bright line that is the rest and most of our human experience yeah. and i i just love it and i love the like oh like i love that yeah. part too like when do you hear when we don't get to hear him like just sort of the like pop beautiful ooos yeah the vocalization uh, stuff rather than yeah the yeah. vocalizations um yeah. and so i i just i think it's got it all and again it's a, another one of those it's just a perfect pop song it's perfect in every in every yeah. detail perfect okay who would be your dream opening act at a heartbreakers concert i think that i i already witnessed my dream opening act okay. and it was stevie nicks Oh, which tour was that? Was that the? I can't remember the year. Um, must have it was maybe early two thousands. Um, okay. But she but it... opened, and then wow. she came out and joined uh, during a couple songs yeah. during the Heartbreakers set, which was just yeah insane. Well, stop dragging my heart, and I'm assuming they did an insider, and then did she, she, and she was... probably sang on learning to fly as well because you know that. Yeah, I, I yeah. can't remember, but I need to go and look up the set list. But I was just I blown away. And, you know, there's always that talk about how she wanted to join the Heartbreakers. Yep. She would have left Fleetwood Mac, et cetera. Yep. We want to take girls in the band, whatever. Um, but it it was such a it was such a perfect match. And um, yeah, that was that was my ideal. So Stevie. done. <laughs> I found that interesting in the book where we commented on that about Stevie coming into the band. She probably wouldn't have been happy being number two to Tom. And that could have been a reason why 
that wouldn't work. And I never thought about that before because she is such a strong personality. She's, you know, a massive, and she was a massive star in her own right by that and point. A so, yeah. And a songwriter, there was no room. No. In that band. I mean, not that the other heartbreakers are not excellent songwriters in yeah. their own right, but it was Tom Petty's band and he was the band leader. And I mean, I think all for the good, like I'm sure ego and control caused um, friction yeah. as it does. Um, but I don't think, I don't think uh, Stevie would have stood for that. No, I don't think so. And I think it would have been <laughs> short-lived because of that, right? Yeah, for sure. Much better as a guest and like great Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so cool. I've always found too really, really cool that Tom never brought anyone else out to sing that song. The only time he ever did it is if Stevie was, or those songs, only if Stevie was there, she can sing them. We're not going to bring out, you know, even Lucinda Williams or someone like that. When she's touring, she's not coming out and singing inside her, even though she could have done it. Because it's that thing of, it's that dynamic that was written for Stevie's voice. And that's the only thing that works with me on that song. It was very singular about those types of things, right? That's fascinating. Because you could see it working with Lucinda Williams. I mean, totally. that would have been amazing. Yeah. But, but yeah, I like the just like setting setting some boundaries. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Something rare and precious. Do you have a favorite band member other than Tom? I have to say Mike Campbell. I know obvious choice. Yeah. But what's still one of the most underrated guitar players and songwriters yep. alive. Um, and just so prolific. <laughs> prolific. I know. And just, I mean, yeah. And But I, I think it's important that he is underrated, right? That's part of the power. That's yep. part of the mystique. That's part of maybe what allows him to be so prolific and to write these iconic riffs for other people yeah. too. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's it's part of the craft. It's part of the work. And so I just just really like him. When he's playing so understated quite often, right? because he plays exactly what the song needs, not what he wants to play. And I was, so the last episode I did was It Ain't Nothing To Me, which isn't one of my favorite tracks, but the live version of Back Up The Plantation, when he rips into that solo and the, it's like, oh, this guy can shred with anybody. Like he play anything, yeah. you know, it's, in, it's incredible and still does. He's still doing it, which I love that he's out with the dirty knobs and he's still writing music and he's still creating, you know, just you can't yeah. turn that tap off, right? That was one of those 80s songs that I really skipped when I was younger and has grown on me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's just, it's honestly, it's it's more the, it's the, uh, the instrumentation and the arrangement on the recorded version that just doesn't quite, because it comes right after Rebels which yeah. sounds big and beefy. And then Dave Stewart produces, he's a pop producer and it's so thin, like the horns are thin and it just feels like it's lacking a bit of punch to me. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you've been to a million Tom Petty concerts, but if there's one from history that you could go to that you weren't at, which one would you pick? This is hard. Um, I mean, the Fillmore run seems pretty great, but I will say... The 1986 True Confessions tour with the Heartbreakers opening and backing Bob Dylan. Right. That's what I would do. That yeah. would be crazy. Are you Dylan fan as well? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that's what I would do because like what? It, I mean, just that that happened and that <laughs> they have said that it happened yeah. at that point in their careers. 
that they would then they would embark on a tour where they're backing anyone <laughs> and not just like taking a vacation and and also yeah also playing uh heartbreaker songs i mean i don't know it's just it it speaks to the commitment to craft and and not ego yeah that is so critical to my understanding and connection with petty and the band um and like up against the iconoclast that is Dylan, um, yeah. really fascinating. Would have loved to have been at that on that tour. Um, and then I would have, this is also kind of, this is cheating, but if I could have been at the 2004 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance of my, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Oh God, yeah. With Penny and Prince. Yeah. I would, I would have died right on the spot. Yeah, you call like in the book. You call that the the best, I think the best soul of all time, and I can't muster any argument against that because it's as a performance, as a piece of playing, exactly. technically, it's yeah. astonishing. And then melodically within this, and I, I love my favorite bit of the whole thing is, you know, Prince is Prince, and he's cocky as hell, and he knows he's good, right? Because yeah. he is. But he's there's that little bit, he plays that little lick, and he he looks over, and you can tell he's making eye contact with Petty, but he kind of does that little nod. That little that little yes. communication about it's so cool, you know. So good. Yeah, it's so good. But like, what what a sign of like, I mean, cockiness, but also respect to oh, like, because yeah. like you could be the type of guitar hero to be out there, and you're not looking at anybody else. You're not. You're like, I'm the show. Yeah, I'm not part of what we're all doing here together, but he's also in it with them and yeah. and Petty is leading the band. Yeah. You know, so it's, I, I just think the dynamic is perfect. It's And it's because he is like, that's dead right. He's, that's, he's part of a band there because they rehearsed, you know, and they, I think, he, I guess he said like, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to do something. I've got something in mind. Is it okay? When everyone said, yeah, no, it's Prince. We'll trust Prince, you know. And the other <laughs> thing I love about that performance is you, Danny, Danny Harrison is just like yes. a kid in a candy store watching him. He's laughing his head off and that's Delighted. the joy of music, you know. It's so, so it's inspiring to see that. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So that that I would also be at. Um, but yeah, I feel really lucky that um, I got to see Petty and the Heartbreakers so many times. Um, yeah. And I wish, I do also wish that I had been able to catch the last anniversary tour. Yeah. My mom did though. My mom and Jim and Barb. Oh, nice. They all went. So I, I feel I'm consoled by that, but I was yeah. sad. It was just at the wrong point because they, in Canada, they only came to Vancouver and Toronto, I'm pretty sure, which is a million miles from in, in both directions. It's, you know, 2000 miles or whatever. So it's yeah. too far away for me to go. And I wasn't quite to that level of being the super fan yet. So I was like, yeah. another one that I missed, you know? I mean, but who could have known? I mean, no, that's none of us knew, right? So, and that's the thing is, he was, was around, and even like I said, when he died, I still wasn't really. No, I, I was probably I was pretty choked up and cut up when he died, but it was well, Tom Petty can't be dead, yeah, because he's just around, like he's yeah, he's like Fogarty or he's like Dylan yeah. or he's they're always they've just been part of the firmament for so long that you can't imagine them not being there, you know? No. So weird. I know, but so different from Dylan because I feel that, I mean, it's such a different fandom of course, than yeah. Dylanologist. And also I feel like we've been on Dylan Death Watch since the 90s. <laughs> so, you oh. know, it, it's, it's, it, it was it, way more shocking. 
I yeah, think. For sure. um, and and to come so soon after Prince as well. That yeah. Um, yeah it was yeah, the three, the three, I think, yeah, it was Prince, Petty, and Alan Rickman were the three that completely skittled me. You know, because yeah. you're just not ready for that. It's sort of well, no, that can't, it's not right. It's not right. Yeah. I know. I was just thinking about Alan Rickman the other day, thinking that's not right. <laughs> that's oh, not right. I love yeah. there's a story about there's a story about him that um I saw that he used to he always because he was brilliant at playing villains, right? Obviously, he played the sheriff in Nottingham, he was Hans Gruber in Die Hard, brilliant at it. But he always wanted to be the romantic lead. He always wanted to be the, the man who comes in and sweeps the, the girl off her feet and everything. And um, I guess he was at a, a party, some like a celebrity party thing, and some kid runs up to him and says, Alan, why do you always play baddies? And I guess Rick McTurney said, I don't play baddies, I play interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> misunderstood yeah. <laughs> that's awesome okay i've changed the wording on this question because i, I oh, didn't, okay. didn't like it the way i went so it, i used to say wall circus or walls number three which is the best version of the song but i think mm. it's which is your favorite version of the song is a much better question circus yeah yeah talk, talk about it in the book right it's on one of one of your mix yeah CDs, i think yeah yeah and i don't i don't know i don't have a good reason yeah. I just, um, I just like that one. I just like how the the wheels fall off at the end. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so, it's so bizarre, and the Lindsey Buckingham vocals, and it, it's just, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I really, I mean, I'm glad. I it's very important that <laughs> it's just one of one walls or another walls because yeah. I do think that that might be one of his best songs. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, again, yeah. talk about opening lines. He had such a knack for writing brilliant opening. Some days are diamonds, some days are rocks. And yes, it came from Johnny Cash, but he had the wherewithal to put that in a song and build out the rest yeah. of a fabulous lyric about it, right? Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant song. And it's funny because I, when I wrote that question, I was telling, um, who was I talking to about that? I was telling someone that I thought that, well, everyone's going to say Walls number three because that's my favorite version. So obviously everyone's going to agree with me. <laughs> and almost everyone says Circus. And so I spent a long time not really listening to Circus and then when I come back to it, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember why. Because it's so greasy and sloppy and just yeah. super, super cool, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, this is one of my favorite questions, and this throws up some absolute brilliant answers, is if you could pick any artist to cover any Tom Petty song, which artist would you pick, artist or band, and what song would they cover? Okay, so I want to shout out one contemporary cover already exists that I okay. think is really good. I think Phoebe Bridgers doing It'll All Work Out is stunning. Stunning. I um, yeah. And so I think it was on her first album. Okay. Stranger in the Alps. But I, in 2018, so 2018, yeah, February 2018, I saw her play live right after that came out. Um, and she played it'll all work out live. Right. And I didn't know that it was coming. And it was so soon after his death that it was just, it's amazing. I mean, she's a really incredible songwriter, but she, she's not so far removed from what the heartbreakers do. I mean, she okay. is, but she isn't. Um, but yeah, her version of it'll all work out is really, really good. So high recommend that. Um, and I'm just like surprising, just surprising for like the sort of world dominating um indie pop singer songwriter to okay. cover Tom Petty song it speaks to the the reach of the songwriting yeah um well divorced from any sort of 
associations with classic rock, right? Um, So I, I mean, this is one of the great songs, but Crawling Back to You is just one, it's just so, it's so good. Um, And I, but I think it's one that has room for other voices to interpret it. Okay. I think that it could be effectively done by, I think Mavis Staples could do a really interesting crawling back to you. Ooh. Right. Cause we think, I would think of Mavis as like celebratory and, you know, yeah. Um, praising, but I think, she, but she's also got that, like that capacity for that um, sort of desolation. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, so crawling back to you, I just thought of a bunch of people that I would like to hear cover it. Yeah. Um, Perfume Genius. Are you familiar with Perfume Genius? I'm not. Okay. Check out Perfume Genius. I think okay. that he could do a really good version. Um, and then maybe a like kind of more psychedelic version from Bartice Strange. Okay. Bartice Strange. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he, I feel like he's a Tom Petty fan and I feel like he could do a cover of Crawling Back to You, but like he does really good covers where yeah, yeah, yeah. he really makes his own. And so I think I would be interested to hear that. And it's that thing of one of those artists who doesn't really cover songs, he interprets them. Yeah, It takes them and figures yes. out what the roots are and finds out how to build his own branches off it. Yeah, exactly. And it's fascinating. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah. And so sometimes you want to hear somebody just like doing a pretty faithful version in their voice, but sometimes you want to hear like, what did you find? Yeah. What hidden capacity did you reveal within yeah. this? Right. That, yeah. that maybe even Petty himself couldn't do. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, I usually tend to prefer the original version of most songs because, or certainly yeah. you, you always end up the one you heard first. Right. But but again, I think, like, I can't remember which artist it was, says, you know, I'm, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I've written or I've done the best version of this song, even though I wrote it. Someone else might take this and make it infinitely better. And I think Leonard Cohen, actually, it was um, with Hallelujah when he heard Jeff Buckley's version. He's like, okay, well, that's that's the definitive version, right? So Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, not too yeah. left. Um, what song do you most frequently recommend to people who don't know Tom's music, if such a person exists in your life? Hmm. Well, so I was thinking about this question. I was thinking about how I wrote an essay that ended up in the book about American Girl. And yeah. I was part of a workshop group and the leader mentor, um, Anne Hood, who's a fabulous memoirist and novelist, she was talking about the essay and she said, you know, I, I can hear the song through your yeah. writing. It was, it was so evocative. And now I don't even ever need to hear the song again. And everyone in the class just stopped and said, you've never heard American Girl by Tom Benny <laughs> and the Heartbreakers? She's like, no, uh, lies, lies. But she was convinced that she didn't know it. Yeah. Um, she said, now I don't want to. I just like the music of Katie's language, et cetera. But so I would start, I would, I would recommend American Girl just like, let's just start there. Yep. You probably know it, but it's worth listening to with intention to, to really soak up what makes it special yeah. um, and why it's so enduring and why put yourself in the mindset of hearing this in 1976 or whatever. Yep. And 
how undefinable it might have <laughs> felt to you that if you can. Um, I think that most of the time people, they will know Tom Petty songs is the thing and they should be reminded of it, but they should be reminded of yeah. it in the way that um, points to, you know, a deeper understanding as opposed to, yeah. um, I wouldn't appoint them to, I won't back down, but I would take them to American Girl and I would also probably do Mary Jane's Last Dance. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think of those two songs as bookends and speaking to each other while also not sounding alike at all, yeah. right? You've got this yeah. very um, up-tempo, very brief window. And then you've got this like swampy, um, groovy sound, but like they seem to be talking about the same things, just maybe yeah. from different angles. So. That's a funny a comment you made too, though. It's a wonderful compliment to your writing, though, that someone doesn't necessarily need to listen to a song, right? And that's that's a must be a lovely thing to hear. Yeah. But I remember listening. There's a, a classical pianist. This is like a very contemporary classical pianist. His name is James Rhodes, who interprets Chopin and Beethoven and all all the classics. But I remember listening to an interview with him, and they, someone was asking him what he has in his iPod. And he said, obviously, lots of lots of classical, but it, you know, and things like the Clash and things like you know the Ramones and this. He says, but really, I don't need I don't need any music on device because it's all here. Oh. And that really resonated with me because, I mean, of course, I want to listen to the music, but yeah, I, I've got American Girl there. I've got yeah. You Won't Back Down There, or I Won't Back Down There. I've got Have Love Will Travel. It's always there. And if I had no way to play music, the jukebox in my head would still be able to play through those, right? Yeah. That nice built-in thing we have as, a, as oh, humans. That's beautiful. My, um, my sweetheart is has this joke but it's actually a conspiracy theory he says that i'm a music critic that actually hates listening to music but it's because um he's always trying to you know play music throughout the house and i find it so distracting right. at some points and that i have to ask to turn it down or turn it off and he's like you hate music it's like no i'm just i find myself it's like competing with music that's in my head already or it's um or i'm listening way too hard to it again yeah. I, I find it so distracting and immersive I like want yeah. to pay attention to it it doesn't really fade into the background um and so it's it become it's just a really intense experience and so yeah. but it's finding ways like when you can be just present to to hearing something yeah. anew right? You do have to kind of prepare yourself to give it that attention so I would also tell those, uh tom petty neophytes to i would wait for the right moment for them to encounter <laughs> the work yeah that's what's so hard about sharing things that you find so precious and important to you with people who don't know it like some things at stake personally for me of course it is absolutely you're like okay yeah is that going to change the way I feel about them now? If they don't love this song, you know, it's that real worry of sort of <laughs> I know it's what you're talking about too, because like I know there are people who music is just sort of background noise but I cannot write if I actually have to sit and focus and, and work and write I can't have music on because I'm just listening to the music now I'm not yeah. I'm listening to the words there's I can't, how can you not listen to that when it's on it drives me crazy my daughter's my youngest daughter she she's fine with that she can do math she can do she can write essays like she can write her English and she's a brilliant student but she can have music on not a chance for me way too distracting <laughs> incredible talent but no oh. okay so your last question Okay. Describe Tom Petty in three words. This is maybe the hardest question. 
I'm going to say three words, but they are not the only three words. Incisive. Generous. Band leader. Beautiful. Good. Beautiful. Yeah, no, it's, it's again, it's, I've got people who actually try to put three words together that fit together. Mm. Um, some people just go off on a, well, what's the main characteristics? What are the qualities? But yeah, I mean, and that's again, it's that the viewer, not the artist, right? So what that's what you put onto Tom rather than, or take away from Tom rather than what he actually is. And I think that's always insightful. It's always interesting to see hear what people yeah. say. So incisive. I know, I that, that is interesting. Yeah. And incisive, so it's not enough to just say sharp, right? No, you can no, say no. That the, the songwriting is sharp, right? A razor's edge and, and clear and yeah. in that way. But I think incisive says that, but also says the sort of, I want to, I'm sticking to what I believe in. Yeah. You know, um, I'm resistant to certain things that go against my values. And um, yeah, incisive. Yeah, I think that quality is, it's, it's, it goes to that sort of, you know, the word authenticity is always something that gets tacked onto. And that's, I think that's overall, or more than anything else, I think that's what we all relate to is we admire that sense of he, he stuck to his guns. He was principled. He was decent as a human being, you know, and all those things. That's what, apart from the music being brilliant, that's what really attracts us to him as a person. And that's what sort of, you know, makes us want to do more than just listen to an album in the background of whatever we're doing, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always conversations since the beginning of any conversation like this about, um, and the more that we learn about artists' personal lives and celebrity culture, yeah. um, this question of separating the art from the artist yeah. and it's nice with petty's work i think that we can separate art from biography and yet still have a sense of what the person stood for and yeah. um and while also understanding and not needing the artist to be a saint yeah. but to be to be a human yeah be real <laughs> you know we're all flawed exactly. that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said I read. Um, I started reading. Sorry, um, Peter Sellers' biography. Who I'm a huge mm -hmm. fan. I couldn't. I got through the first chapter and I thought this is gonna really affect my ability to love his work because it's just too dark and it's too much. And I thought, well, so I'll, I'll just leave that and I'll just stay ignorant of it, even though that's cowardly. You know, it's like maybe I'll in ten years, maybe I'll be at a place where I can do it. But I was like, I can't deal with that. I need. That's where I can't separate the art yeah. and the artist. And with some people you can, and some people you can't. Right, Cosby, I can't. Cosby's. I can't separate that now. No. Some people I can, you know, it's, and there's different degrees and different levels of it. That's always an interesting argument about, about yeah. how you do that, you know. I know. Um, but, but here, yeah, like you're saying, authenticity, um, it can mean, it can mean different things. Um, yeah. Like you're saying, it, it can be a sort of um, attempt at honesty on all, in all of these valences yeah. of your life and craft. And I think that, I think Petty tried for that.